and next on 2NURFM, Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein. And uh, we're going to be looking at how to invest in uncertain times. Some tips on that. That's thinking that perhaps the times at the moment are a little uncertain. We'll have our market snapshot with Henry Jennings as well from Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. And we'll just see what the currencies and commodities are doing this week. And starting off, Stephen Pritchard, um, well, a certain well-known identity from this uh, area, Nathan Tinkler has discovered he has a couple of credit cards that haven't uh, been paid off and have racked up a certain amount of debt. We've heard about that in the news. But it does actually mean that perhaps we should take a look at our credit cards and our statements and and some of the conditions that were... Oh, I mean, credit cards, you should... Credit cards are quite handy, but you should always, where possible, pay them off before the uh, end of the month. I mean, there's some credit cards that... Now, it's all confusing, but depending on your credit card, some have interest-free periods and some charge from the day of purchases. Um, but the interest rates are, are always high, and um, you should, pay, particularly if you've got an interest-free one, after the uh, interest-free period, you'll probably find the rate goes to 21%, and you should always try and pay those credit cards off prior to the the due date. Now, one way you can do this, if you're, if you're a bit forgetful, um, a number of the of the banks that issue credit cards, and of course they don't like to publicise this too much, I don't think, is have a, a direct debit facility where you can organise to, to automatically pay your credit card off each month by debiting your bank account. So I'd ask my uh, bank billing society or credit union whether that's available. And the other thing is a number of credit cards I've noticed, um, and I can't recall which one, I think it might have been American Express, now puts down the the time it would take you to pay off the debt if you paid the minimum um, repayment. And it's many, many, many years. It's surprising then, yeah. You know, know, the minimum repayment is 3 or 4%, 5% maybe, and and then it's compounding up with interest, you know, one uh, or two percent per month. So, so if you don't pay it off, you're just paying them interest. And credit card business is very profitable for the uh, financial institutions, as you can imagine. And we want to look after our money as best we can. That's right. For you, you, you wonder how the institution that um, gave Mr. Tinkler such a high credit limit. Um, I wonder what institution that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Uh, you think they, we might get the same uh, privileges? Um, probably probably use that instead of paying out their insurance claims. Yes, maybe <laughs> so. In the meantime, what's been happening with commodities? How are they travelling? Easter's been in the way, of course. Easter's um, been in the way. So did you, probably, you You weren't here for the Easter eggs last week, were you, Jane? No, I uh, missed them. No, oh, we, yeah, I think everyone missed them, actually. Mm. Um, uh, so the gold price is pretty steady on last week. We're at $1,612. Um, it's down $4, but that, that's neither here nor there, really. Um, the silver price was down 2% on the week to $19.84. Um, and the copper price was down 2% to $6,445 a tonne. And the nickel price was down 4%, so uh, to $11,018 a tonne. Um, the, these are all in you know, $8 terms. So... so um, not a good price for commodities in Australian dollar terms, but bear in mind that, that the A dollar was up 2% of the week, so yeah, not that bad, I suppose. Um, speaking of the A dollar, the A dollar was up against the US dollar um, about 2% of the week to 76.69 cents per dollar. So, um, yeah, the A dollar continues to go up much to the uh, 
disappointment of the Reserve Bank, I think. Um, the, but to the really happiness, I suppose, of, of the... Worldwide travellers and, um, and, and uh, importers of goods. Um, actually, the, the, the increasing dollar, because, because Australia imports so much these days um, the, the, in, for foodstuffs and whatever, um, has a, 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 the, the rising dollar actually keeps inflation under control as well. Okay, so mm. that's uh, the, perhaps the Reserve Bank's quite happy about that. Uh, the Reserve aspect. Bank wants to, yeah, well, they might be happy with that aspect, <laughs> but yeah, it's well publicised policy. They want to push the price dollar down. Um, uh, the Great British Pound, we're up um, oh, 0.3% to 53 uh, pence. Um, the New Zealand dollar, we're down about 2% against that to $1.10. And the euro, we were uh, about half a percent difference at 67 euro cents. And of course, the, the the share market has been all over the place. Um, we're back we're back down to five thousand and eighty one points at yesterday's close, or down two point three percent. So um, we're almost back where we were at the start of the start of the month. Um, the U.S. Dow Dow market was up one point two three percent. I mean, the U.S. market continues to go up. Um, yeah, even despite the election uncertainty, which would have a which would have a negative effect in Australia with the you know the current presidential primary elections going on, the U.S. market still appears to be powering along. Um, and uh, the U.K. index was was very much steady at six thousand two hundred and three, and the Hang Seng, which is Hong Kong index, of course, was. Uh, up about one percent to twenty thousand eight hundred and three. Now the oil price, wow. well, surprise, surprise. I mean, as 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 um, we predicted last week, and or the week before, actually, we were quite correct that the 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 the, the fuel price went up over Easter, um, and uh, we didn't actually get our prize for that. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, so that the crude oil price was down seven percent on the week to fifty dollars and forty dollars a barrel. Um, the, and, and the unleaded fuel price in Newcastle was down two percent on the week to a dollar four, um, compared to the Easter week, um, which was up. Surprise! And uh, the Sydney unleaded price was down nine percent on the week to a dollar five. Um, so, so we're about on par with Sydney at the moment. And the diesel price in Newcastle this morning was a um, a dollar eleven, and which is about the same as last week. And the Sydney price was a dollar seven, which is also similar to last week. So um, the only no great movement in the the um, unleaded fuel price in Newcastle down about two cents a litre. So is back back to where we were prior to Easter. Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard. And now for our market snapshot, Henry Jennings will Henry be joining Jennings. us. He's, re- he's recovered after Easter with his hot cross buns. And I have, yes, yes, I have yes. indeed. Yes, and I was very careful. I only ate one Easter egg over the whole time. Oh, that's good. I didn't even get an Easter egg as I was saying to Jane. I, I missed out. On oh, well, I'll, I'll make sure I send you one next year, Henry, if I Fantastic. remember. That's good. Um, and speaking of Easter eggs, uh, the Medibank Private's got a, a new CEO who's looking to <laughs> to uh, cut costs, Mr. Craig Drummond, who used to be at JB Weir and then yes. Merrill Lynch. Long time ago, you're showing your age. Yeah, yeah. and then Merrill Lynch. And... Weir that morphed into Goldman Sachs, and then, then Craig Drummond left Goldman's and went off to, uh, to join National Australia Bank. Um, and he's been there some time and was one of the guys responsible for um, their their divorce from the Clydesdale Bank in the UK, and now he's um, he's jumped ship over to uh, to Medibank Private. So, but I guess the market hopes that he can weave his magic um, that he that he brought to National Bank at Medibank, and as you say, cut costs, which. 
Um, they, they take money in, which is kind of mandated by the government to some extent, 5-6% rises. Um, and so it's, it's hard for them to grow um, the business unless they cut costs or they, they don't pay out quite as much as they, uh, they would, uh, would, or people would like them to, I guess. Yeah, it's, I would have thought it's a difficult call because their biggest, I mean, they've got various operating costs, you know, that's fair enough, but their biggest, their biggest is going to be their underwriting um, results. And, you know, if they cut, they've cut too much in their payout to their policyholders, the policyholders will um, desert them for another fund. So, Well, that's, that's the trouble. I get. It's a very competitive world out there for health funds. I mean, you've got Bupa, uh, which is one of the, sort of the, the biggest ones, um, and people are losing... Um, I guess they're, they're losing kind of uh, patience, I guess, with these health funds because the the the, uh, the fund seems to increase every year, and on April the first, I think they're set to increase five and a half percent again um, on average across the board. So um, you know you have to look very carefully at what you're actually getting for for your dollar. Um, the government obviously helps you make that decision in terms of uh, tax incentives to take up private health insurance, but there is certainly uh, as as these things rise and. I know from my own experience, the cost is, is, is enormous. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I mean, one of the, I mean, the government says they're helping you, but one of the issues really is that if you go into a public hospital, um, your health fund pays full freight. Now, yeah. if, you, if you're paying the Medicare levy, yeah. um, you know, you're actually paying the public hospital once and then the health fund's paying again. Yeah. So, so I would have thought that the private health fund shouldn't be paying full freight to the public hospitals. Right. And it'd be interesting to see what money they be interesting, which is never mentioned. You know, they mentioned the subsidy that's paid to the taxpayers, to, you know, for taking out private health funds. But it's mm. never disclosed how much the private health fund premiums are actually paid back into the public system, which right. the government would have to pay the whole lot of if if that wasn't there. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it's an easy question. It's not an easy question. All I know is that whenever I go to oh, yeah, uh, no. anywhere and pay with, uh, you know, you, mm. you say you're a private health fund, um, the money you get back is mm. not commensurate with the money you pay out. Mm. Um, and you wonder, you know, it's $400 a month or something now. Yep. Yeah, it's $5,000 a year. That's not an inconsiderable amount of money for a family. Uh, I know, I know we're paying that. Uh, of course, the other thing is, Henry, we can give some free advice here, that if you if you want to save on the 5% um, increase, you can pay up front for a year. And I think today's the last day you can do that. And, yeah. you, get, and you get the old rate. There you go. Well, you at least do it, the local fund here, anyhow. Yes, good idea. Well, good tip. Yep. And car sales. Car sales have expanded into uh, Latin America. Yes. So, so, uh, yeah, they're expanding into Chile, um, and they've, um, they're buying a controlling stake in Chile's largest online automotive advertising website for about 15 million US. So um, that gives them 83% of the business. Uh, the owners of the business will retain 17%, but obviously um, car sales looking for ways to expand their business. And, of course, one of those ways is to uh, to take their successful model in Australia, take their platform, um, and roll it out across other regions. And uh, South America is one area they've been looking at. They already have some businesses there as well. So um, it's, it's good to see them doing that, I guess. Um, it's interesting that Australia seems to be leading the world in this. I mean, car sales is expanding overseas, Seek's expanding overseas, and I don't know whether realestate.com's expanding overseas, but the the, plat- the real estate platforms uh, over in the UK and the US aren't as advanced as um, we are here, so so it, it's interesting that Australian um, intellectual properties in the, in the IT area seems to be rolled out across the world. It does, I mean uh, of course, you know, with, with 
IT, it is a kind of a, a global commodity now. And, uh, you know, although they may be listed here and domiciled here, um, you know, their programmers and their uh, other sort of the back-end stuff may be uh, done overseas anyway. So uh, we, we live in this, uh, this very much a global economy now. So, um, But it's good to see. It's good to see. And, of course, you've got companies like Alassian, which is uh, probably uh, the, the, the biggest gorilla in the uh, in the in that sort of space in the in the te- emerging technology space. Of course, they've been a massive success story and that listed in the U.S. Mm. on the uh, on the Nasdaq exchange. So uh, they've done very well. Mm. And speaking of commodities, um, Huon and Tassel uh, Salmon shares are uh, the shares in that the, um, have fallen as well. There, we'll start again. Huon and Tassel, <laughs> two 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 of the listed salmon producers in Australia, um, uh, shares have fallen in the week because of hot weather in Tasmania. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so. Um, well, the hot water in, uh, in in sort of the key Tasmanian um, harbour um, has been a bit of a factor there. Yes, yeah. so they, they say there's something fishy going on, which uh, um, you know, they're, they're certainly um, investors have been selling the shares, and we've seen some uh, some big falls in Hue and Antassa, which is which is strange when you look at um, you know salmon prices around the world are actually mm-hmm. uh, going through going the roof, and, yeah. the, and the demand in Asia is quite strong. Um, but uh, obviously, the environmental impact of um, of that hotter water, I guess, is maybe alluding to more climate change, is certainly um, having yeah. an impact there. We might come back in a minute and just talk about um, what's happening down at the ASX again. Oh, yes, why yes. not? Okay, thanks, Harry. And at the moment on 2NURFM, this is Thursday Finance, and we're in the middle of our market snapshot. Stephen Pritchard with Henry Jennings, who's senior commentator with Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Henry. So, so a couple of weeks ago, the ASX lost its uh, managing director, and, and now <laughs> yeah. it looks like it's going to lose its monopoly in the equities clearing business. There, yeah, there's obviously an Oscar Wilde quote in there somewhere that's just waiting to happen about losing one um, is uh, is misfortune. Um, at the end of the day, the ASX had a um, a monopoly on the clearing business. It gave, gave them revenue last year of around fifty one million dollars. So. It's quite a good monopoly, um, and um, they've been under threat for some time that uh, that monopoly was going to be taken away from them in, in terms of clearing and settling trades that were done on the ASX and on Chiax. Um, it was hoped that they would get another five years. Um, that was the plan from uh, Elmer uh, Funky Cooper before he uh, departed, and that's certainly what he was pushing for. But the, the other day, um, the Treasurer, Scott Morrison, announced that he would allow competition uh, if and when that uh, was forthcoming, uh, to enter the market in the clearing business, and that there would be a sort of an 18-month transition period while they sorted out the regulation. Now, that he, all, he said at the time that there's no sign of any competition uh, emerging in the clearing business, but certainly uh, the, a, the ASX has moved uh, and is lowering rates by uh, 10% come July um, to take uh, account of that emerging competition and make themselves more competitive. I think it costs about 0.25 um, of, a, uh, of a cent to settle uh, the trades, and that's twice what uh, other exchanges uh, charge. This, yeah, uh, ASX is, ASX is um, y- y- you know, clearing charges are extremely high compared to the rest of the world. And, they are. Yeah. They are. And, and, you know, when competition first started to emerge in Australia, they, they put down the trading fees, but then put up the but the, then, then increase the clearing fees. So now that the clearing revenue is also under threat. Yeah, so well, they're, they're, they're big, um, 
their big uh, money spinner last year was uh, IPOs and new listings. Mm. Um, and a lot of that had to do with um, the bank capital raise um, and also uh, the rush of IPOs we had uh, during 2015, which doesn't seem to be happening to the same extent in uh, in 2016. They've also, the other big driver, as you rightly say, is, is their futures and options mm. business, which has been going gangbusters, while their equity business has been under threat uh, from Chiax and has had to cut their rates. And, of course, of course that's uh, affecting margin. And Chiax is probably also going to become more aggressive with new owners there, I would have thought. Um, yeah, they've got uh, some new U.S. private equity owners called J.C. Flowers. They, um, they're, they're kind of good at this sort of stuff. They bought the business uh, back in January for an undisclosed sum. They've got about 11% of the market. They're certainly going to look to get into uh, to futures and options more aggressively. And I would imagine that some way down the track and not in the too distant future, they will look at the clearing business as well because it's, it's obviously, uh, you know, if you've got 11% of the, the market, you'd probably want to clear your own trades and the assets clear their trades mm-hmm. and then you can uh, compete with them. And I'd imagine that uh, you know, Computer Share is also uh, potentially looking at it because they control the registry. It's not a big... Um, it's not a no. big sort of leap into the unknown to uh, control the money side of things as well. Um, obviously, Computer Share aren't the only guys that do registry services for share for uh, for companies and shareholders, but uh, they're mm. certainly one of the biggest. And, and a lot of this clearing software you can now buy off the shelf anyhow, so, you know, yeah. Yeah, the investment, yeah. So, um, speaking of banks, I mean, the, the oh. bank share prices fall, <laughs> fell a bit this week because of rising concerns on... Um, Bad debt provisions. I mean, ANZ announced some write-offs, um, bad debt write-offs yep. because of mining, and now there's concerns that other banks have got similar issues. Yeah, well, ANZ really opened Pandora's box um, on the Thursday before Easter and announced that uh, their bad debt provisions were going from 800 million to at least that was kind of a worrying phrase, uh, 900 million, and this was this has been rising for some time. Uh, they're blaming it on their resource company exposure, specifically Peabody and Arium uh, were the two they singled out, uh, at least not in the, the press release, but certainly that's what the market has, uh, has singled out as their biggest sort of worries at the moment. And then the market's now extrapolated that across the sector to all the banks mm-hmm. um, and suggesting they've all got bad debts that are rising, which is true because if you look at the, uh, the big growth in the last four or five years in bank profits, a lot of that has been due to two things, cost-cutting and also bad debt provisions coming down. Uh, if you look at somewhere like National Bank, they, they had a bad debt provision of around $84 million, which is, which is nothing. You know, it's, it's, it's loose change. Uh, but having said that, in the big scheme of things, these bad debt provisions, although they are rising, they are still very, very small mm. in terms of their loan book, and they're also very, very small in terms of their profitability. Don't forget that the big four between them will make around $30 billion in profit mm. uh, this year. So, um, And we've just seen record profits been announced by um, you know, some of these banks. So bad debts will rise. We know that's going to happen, and it will start to affect margins. But the banks have been quite adept, I think, at, uh, at risk mitigation um, in terms of uh, lending uh, criteria for, uh, for housing. So unless you see some sort of Armageddon-type scenario like GFC, um, the banks have only cut their dividends three times in the last 38 years. So um, although the dividend growth won't be probably there, they'll just keep the, the, the dollar mm. the same, um, you know, and that will force the payout ratios down as, as earnings increase. Yep. Yep. Um, so, you know, they'll get back more into line with the long-term average, but uh, the market has panicked big time mm. about it. And 
Down at Fantastic Holdings, the chairman's again under pressure from shareholders to privatise the company. I mean, <laughs> what, well, what's going on down there? It's not so fantastic, I'd say. It's definitely not that fantastic. Um, yeah, there's, there's certainly some uh, some equity players um, in the wings that may be interested in, in this. The uh, the group behind um, Super Amart has been uh, has been sort of uh, mentioned in the press as potentially um, looking at this. Um, so um, yeah, the, it seems that the, um, the chairman and major shareholder, a guy called Julian Tertini, has, has really got uh, no interest in privatising the company, which is what they were hoping. Mm. Um, and uh, these guys, Quadrant and Iron, Iron Bridge Capital, which own uh, Super Amart, could well look at mm. um, a fantastic group. So um, you know, it'd be probably pretty good fit given the uh, you know they're, they're sort of a budget furniture retailer and. And so fantastic. So, um, yeah, potentially uh, some interest there. And a stock that has actually performed fantastic but hasn't called that is uh, TPG. TPG, And its share price um, hit a record high this week. So what's Marcus today's view on TPG? Um, I've got to say, I mean, we like TPG. Um, we, like the, uh, we like the TPGs and the Vocus. Um, the, the problem, I guess, is valuation and mm-hmm. You know, it's it's getting a little bit stretched. Um, there's certainly some uh, commentators out there that are starting to have some concerns about TPG, mainly because um, in an NBN world, I mean, that's assuming we ever get NBN. I don't think we'll ever get it down down here. I, you know, it's, it's a strange mythical creature. But in an NBN world where the, where there is a level playing field, um, as you know, they have to pay a certain yeah. amount to access NBN. Then the, the kind of um, the kind of margins that TPG can put on uh, become very competitive. So there is a school of thought that suggests that, that you know the, the best days are over. Um, TPG, of course, have, have counted that by saying, well, you know, we're going to look at different products and we've got our, uh, we've got our own network. Um, so you know, especially for um, for businesses, um, they will do very well. And these guys are ripping out costs from their recent iInet mm-hmm. purchase, but they have got. Um, you know, $1.5 billion worth of debt on the balance sheet following that purchase. So it's not all uh, beer and Skittles for, uh, for TPG. They've got, they've got yep. to do some work to keep this, this growth yeah. going, and, um, and, and it has been a superstar. Yeah, and the NBN rollout here is, I've uh, been here, is, is parts of Newcastle are on the trial for the new um, uh, technology to the, what's, what's it called, the fibre to the node. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, believe me, it doesn't work. It doesn't work? <laughs> no. What, what, what part of it doesn't work? Well, the speed on if you if you change over to MBN, the speed on the um, data is actually lo- slower than ADSL. Oh, really? So, yeah. I, th- I think unfortunately we're going to end up with a second-rate yep. system, which is going to be outdated before it's finished, yep. and it's going to cost us a fortune. And I noticed in a survey the other day we're now 60th mm-hmm. uh, in the world in terms of our internet speed. So we are, yep. you know, this is crucial infrastructure for the 21st century. And we have really stuffed um, it up and made it political instead of a science base. And the technology is now going to cost more to run than the. the, oh, the it's, yeah. it's just, it's, so then, I what was that, to start with? So anyhow. Yeah, I think it's gone from fiasco to schmozzle. Yeah. Anyhow, we'll leave that on. We'll, we'll, That's a nice <laughs> note to finish, finish on. on yes, we'll see what <laughs> schmozzle we can talk <laughs> about next week. That's all right, Henry. Thank you, Henry. Thanks, Jenny. Henry. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Bye. Joe.
from Marcus Today Financial Newsletter, Henry Jennings, and back next week. This is Thursday Finance. Thanks to our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. And Stephen Pritchard, we're planning to look at investing in uncertain times. I think there's quite a lot to talk about there. Uh, but if you do have a call that you'd like to put to Stephen about uh, your personal investment or taxation or the stock market, you can give us a call on 49216216. So uncertain times. We are living in interesting and uncertain that's times. That's a Chinese Steve. curse, isn't it? May you live in interesting times? Yeah, well, that's only if you wish it on somebody. We <laughs> think we oh, are well, at the moment. We've already, we've already got Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're building an investment portfolio, you need to think of, you know, not only the, um, the days when it's all bright and sunny and everything's going ahead well, but you also need to think of the days when, you know, it's uncertainty and you need a bit of umbrella over your head to cover you. And so one of the things, one of the steps you can take is is to look at diversifying your investment portfolio. And what this means, what and people get confused about this, what this means, it doesn't mean that you diversify your portfolio by, by going and buying CBA shares, ANZ shares, and perhaps NAB shares. What this means is you need to look at, first of all, look at what asset classes you need to diversify the portfolio in. So that means you need some fixed interest some cash, um, some Australian shares, maybe some UK uh, international shares and maybe some property. And that's the most important things you need to start with. Now, from a risk point of view... The, the the more risk you the more risk you have in the portfolio will be weighted to your growth assets, which is your equities, your property, and you know international assets. And the less risk will be cash has got, of course, got the least amount of risk, particularly if it's in a um, a deposit with an ADI of less than two fifty thousand. It's government guarantee, so that's probably the less risk the retail investor can get. And then some fixed interest. Now we've done a bit of work in the firm here, and we've actually. Uh, prepare the table of what sectors had the best performing asset class um, back to 1991. And why we chose 1991 is it was easiest. It was a lot more work to go back and get that. And and we've coloured it in. And, and when you look at it, what you can see, and it's always very good to see, is that it's all over the place and no one actually can predict um, where the next asset class is going to be the best return. So, so there's no guide in looking back at what's happened since 1991? No, and I think if you go back further and spend a lot more time, I mean, we've got 20-something yep. years there, you know. Yes, we have. It'll be exactly the same. So what you need to do is you need to look at, first of all, decide how much risk you want to want, want to take and then look at how you um, need to manage that risk. Now, one of the things we've done is we've done a... Um, Internally, we use a, a, this risk return matrix, and the majority of our clients kind of fit in the balance portfolio area. And what we would do then is we'd allocate about ten percent to cash, forty um, percent of their money to fixed interest, and fifty uh, percent to growth assets, which would be Australian shares, international shares, property, and alternative type assets. Now, at the moment, that type of portfolio should return you about nine to ten percent over the medium to long term. Now, it's better than just getting interest in a bank account. It's better than getting interest in the bank account, but it's also more risky. Okay. Yeah, it's also more risky. So what you need to do is the first stage is you need to look at where you need to spread your, your assets across the various sectors. The second stage you need to look at is, is what you're going to invest in in each particular asset class. Now, for example, um, in, a, in our 
in our model portfolio that we kind of use, um, we'd recommend an imbalanced portfolio that you had 10% in um, international shares. Now, what we would use to do there is we, because international shares are too difficult to manage directly from Australia, uh, we'd use fund managers and we, we used to use um, one fund manager that invests um, predominantly in UK and Europe and, and another one that invests in um predominantly in the Asian and Japan, Japanese economies. Uh, so what we're trying to do there is, is, is cover the world instead of having your, your performance solely linked to the performance of the US economy or the UK or Japan or Asia. So, so, so it's, not, it's not a simple matter of portfolio construction. It's not a simple matter of saying, yes, we want some international investments. But the next stage you need to look at is where you want to do it. And there's been quite a lot of work done on, on how to construct and blend these portfolios up. Similarly, um, in Australia, we spoke about um, before briefly we touched on, you know, what diversification means. You not only need to diversify across sticks, stocks, you need to diversify across sectors of the economy because at different stages, different sectors of the economy perform um, better or better than others. For example, we've seen the resource industry um, um, perform um not very, quite so well in not the last quite so well in the last you know three or four years but before that uh, it was going quite well so if you had if you had a portfolio of um say a simple example 100 percent of your money in bhp you you probably done reasonably well up to about three years ago and since then you've lost half your money yes or probably yeah. even a bit more um if you'd have been one, if you'd been slightly more sophisticated and say it half your portfolio in BHP and half your portfolio in Westpac, um, you, you've probably done reasonably well, and and you you probably still got all your money because you know while while while, while the BHP share price has fallen by you know around forty percent, um, Westpac uh, hasn't fallen that much, and and it's continue to pay a high dividend. So just by, just by taking in two stocks in two different sectors, you can considerably, um, you know, cut down the risk in your portfolio. Hmm. And you're looking at more than just two sectors, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, yeah, but we, we'd be looking at, you know, there's, um, there's capital goods, there's retailing um, and similarly, you know, retailing um, gold, for example. Gold, gold mining stocks have done very well. I mean, a normal person wouldn't want to put a lot of money in the gold, but gold's generally perceived as a, um, a hedge, safe, safe and a hedge against mm. inflation. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, keeping your portfolio going in uncertain times. And thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thanks, Jane. And we'll be back with Thursday Finance next Thursday after the midnight news, midday news, in fact. And you can catch us on podcast on 2 com.